Okay. And I'll pray. And are you going to pray? Yeah, sure. We'll all well, pray. We're all going to say a piece. We're all going to say a little piece. Say a little song for you. <laughs> okay. God, thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for Bill having a little holiday and getting to have a break. Thank you for everybody who joined us here in person and online. And thank you for Jesse coming to join us tonight and share his experiences with this program and with us. Uh, please be with everyone who isn't here, who didn't make it, who wanted to come and couldn't, who wanted to come and isn't even in that place to consider coming yet, who needs this program. I pray for everybody who is out there struggling without a solution and I pray that we all continue on our own recovery so that we can bring the one we can bring the message to the people around us who need it amen Jesse uh God you know allow me to be open um void of self allow the audience to be open void of self um you know allow there to be a clear channel between us and the audience allow um people to hear what they need to hear and thank you for getting us all together at this time uh, to go over you know very key aspects of uh, a relationship with you amen Okay, so we're going to start off at our actors, self-centered, egocentric. But what I'd like to do is kind of sum up some of the main keys that we've already gone through at this point. So we've obviously gone through, you know, how it works, the 12 steps. I mean, this is read at every meeting. I don't want to go over that. What I do want to go over is the A, Bs, and Cs. So A, B, C, in the original manuscript, it says this. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after have been designed to sell you three pertinent ideas, which is A, B, and C. A, that you are alcoholic and cannot manage your own life. B, that probably no human power could relieve your alcoholism. And C, that God can and will, period. So it is to say that all the information read up to this point, if it's to be diluted to three simple ideas, it is the A, Bs, and Cs, which is very important. How do you take... X amount of chapters of information and put it all down to a certain number of ideas. And that is A, B's, and C's. Not only that, as it does say that all the information presented before this is designed to sell you on that, right? Most important being that God can and will, period. Anything to say on that? The first requirement that any life run on self will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives may be good. If you are, if you are now convinced you're now at step three, which is that you make a decision to turn your life and your will over to the care of God as you understand him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? The first requirement is that you see that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So the first requirement of step three um, is to understand that self needs to be out of that equation. When it comes to step three, there is very few steps in any of our programs and in the book that's so confused. Why I believe that is, is because to get to step three takes absolutely no work. Four and five on, you have to do a five before you, you get to do any of those other steps. So it's quite often that you'll get people who 
you know, we're around these programs, not actually getting into any work, coming into these rooms, hearing this opinion, hearing that opinion, forming their own opinion. The book, the book itself is the, is these programs, right? Black and white, it can't be contested. This is it, right? This only gets confused in the rooms, right? What I find happens is step three is probably one of the most confused steps, people believing that they have to find the spirit on that step, people stalling out on this step before they find it. That's not what we're looking for, right? There are certain aspects in here that we'll read and I'll point that out. But if we're talking about what are some main fundamental ideas that we have to have in order to get this step, the absence of self-will. First requirement is that you see that any life run on self-will can only be a success. Tricky thing about that is an individual comes here with addiction issues, drugs, let's say alcohol, whatever the case may be. That's the main thing, right? So when they come into this program, you know, we talk about substance. No problem for me to have something beyond myself for that issue, right? As I go through the 12 steps, the, the drug and the drink issue subsides. My life takes off. God's nowhere to be found. Does that make sense? So it's only out of the bottom of self that somebody can actually understand self itself. The first requirement is that we say that any life run on self will can hardly be a success. It's quite common to come in here, believe that the drink and the drug's the main issue, right? Minus the drink and the drug, my one-time good character will come back, right? It was only out of a second bottom, which is the bottom of self, that I was able to understand three and in turn understand six. Are there any quick questions on that? Do you, do you guys do a question period at the end or how does that kind of work? We could, we usually just go questions as they, as they need to be, but do you want to talk a little bit more about, you know, like your ideas around how long it takes to hit an emotional bottom, if you're working a good program and that if you are surrounded by people who are also working a good program. Emotional bottom is difficult because emotional bottom is where an individual is going to drink. By the time they get to that spot, there's no God in their life at all. Right. So it, it is almost seems to be a necessary part of the process. Somebody comes in, you know, generally six months, their life starts to take off. They needed a, a job. Maybe they got that. They needed a place. Maybe the wife comes back, these types of things. And they actually have something of a life, but no God or spirit anywhere in there. Dishonesty seeps into these areas. The same dishonesty that I'll use in my relationship or my career is the exact same dishonesty that I'll drink and use with. So it's only a matter of time before uh, self, selfish and self, the selfish, self-centered nature will bleed in and eventually will cause me to drink. Typically, that's nine months to a year-ish. Yeah, yeah. I, Typically. I, I see that as people graduate from treatment centers. It's kind of like, and I think that comes into the uh, insidiousness of it is that you think you have an idea of God. You think that you're actually getting these things, you know, you're getting your car back, you're doing the things you're saying, the little prayers you're and not really understanding how self is going to take you out because you don't even know what you're looking for. A lot of times it's dressed up as like the loneliness and it's, it's the insidious stuff that is really going to take a grasp at and you don't know. Um, so I was thinking about this earlier today. I was thinking about the, the mental blank spot. And really, I kind of conceptualize that for myself as that is self, that the mental blank spot is self and, and self blocks me off from God. And from that place, I, I get spiritually sick. And so it's, it's self, it, self is the blank spot and, and in defects and in self, I'm blocked off from God. 
and I have a spiritual sickness and it will come a time that I will drink and use again because I need a power greater than myself kind of thing. Um, I would say though, at step three, people really don't know what they're signing up for. So what do you say to people when they say, how do I turn my will over? Well, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit more. For example, in what usually happens, it describes what it looks like when you are running the show. You need a compass, right? You need like a barometer. A lot of the times it's, it's pressure builds up, right? Pressure builds up, always built up in my life. If I have a couple of drinks or whatever the case may be, I could relieve that pressure. Problem is I have the allergy of the body and that subjects me to drink for however like right? And it centers in the body. It does not center in the body. So eventually my mind will catch up with my body. Looks like a conscious choice for a week. After a week, I don't want to drink and I'm in this hellish torture for months, right? So when we talk about step three and not understanding what you're getting into, a lot of people will talk about how do you know you're on three is you're on four. And I have always liked that, you know? Why I like that is because, you know, there's certain rooms, there's certain pockets of these programs that believe you get stalled out on this stuff. You're stalled out in the step. You're, you will surely drink. Um, you hear those people that are like, yeah, I was one, two, three out, one, two, three out. Yeah. Well, you were never one, two, three out because the end of three says we're, we're launching on a program of action. And then we are at step four. And that's where it ends in the literature is that we've, we've launched. And so, you know, you're done step three when you've already started step four. Definitely. Any questions on that? Well, I feel you use the step zero problem good point problem is is that if you've let it go to that point where yeah you know what i mean <laughs> like if you are at that point and you're and you're all of that you're fucking already you've already drunk you're you're drunk already if not you're legit drinking at the time that is a good point though because ideally you're not going to hit absolutely all of them um you know but some problems in your relationships you know full of fear unuseful yeah, I mean, if you're hitting a couple of those, nothing wrong with that. I think, too, that I'm thinking back to when I was in Medicine Hat. It was around the time that you, Bill, and I were actually talking about this sort of thing and how the theory of God is it, it's good until it's like you're you're in something. You you have a decision to make. You're, you're coming up against the unknown and that fear. And that's kind of the barometer is how do you face the fear and how do you step into the unknown and how do you let go of the things you know that you need to? And like when you're, if, if everything's all good, chances are you're not really doing what you got to do because you have to be letting go of self and that's uncomfortable. You know, in the literature in the 12 by 12, it says that there's always an emotional surrender or emotional turmoil before the surrender. And so that comes every time you're up against yourself and then you're, you're relinquishing self comes with this emotional turmoil before the surrender of it. And so for me, it was like Phil and Jesse were, we were having this conversation and I hadn't gone through anything yet. I had come out of treatment. I was getting the job. Like I had, I had all the things happen to me that, you know, happen as a result of not drinking. And, and then I, then I hit a wall where it was like, now I had to actually go into the unknown and make a decision that was really, really scary. And that's where I got all the pain. And so the, we were talking about like, now God's everything that you need, you know, because the, 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 uncertainty comes and then am I going to do what I've always done and revert back into what I know or am I going to take the leap and is God everything and is God nothing and and if God's everything then this uncertainty I can get through it and push through it and that's kind of what I 
held on to. So the barometer for me at the beginning was like for the step three stuff, it was like, you know, understanding that God's in all the bad. And I don't know what I'm, I, I just know that it's feeling like I need to make a move and it's scary. And it's, and that's, that was kind of what Bill was warning me about all along was you're going to come up against this and you're going to be full of fear trying to make the next move. And so I knew that that was coming up and that I had to lean into it. So the barometer for me was like, how do I make a move and let go of what I know and, and make God everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So what usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think that life doesn't treat him right. Right. So that means, you know, I go into work tomorrow and they don't value me or they don't pay me enough or my clients don't care for me. And then I go into my relationship and she doesn't really love me and she takes advantage of me and blah, blah, this and that and that. When I am in a position where life doesn't treat me right as a whole, the odds are I'm running the show in one way, shape, or form, and I just have to trace that back. Still, the play does not suit him, admitting he may be somewhat at fault. He's sure other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? So the show doesn't come off very well. I begin to think that life doesn't treat me right. I become angry, indignant, indignant and self-pitying. So when we talk about, you know, running the show and like, you hear that a lot, running the show, running the show. When it, me running the show, I am, I am making decisions in my own life and those decisions are not grounded or tethered to anything, right? It means I'm coming up with these shoddy intuitive thoughts and decisions over time and I'm making some pretty crooked, unguided moves, right? Easiest way to hedge against that is to bring in God-centered pillars on my decisions. It's the easiest way. So especially, you know, you get a couple of years, you know, these intuitive thoughts that come out of 11. If you're going to act on them right out of the gate, you're going to get yourself into a fucking world of hurt that you do not see coming at all. This is why early recovery, it's best to funnel all decisions through a sponsor, God-centered pillars. That's how you hedge against this right there, right? If I, a lot of people understand that they, that they can't trust their thinking in regards to the drink and the drug, sure right? Eventually we get to that point. Simple fact is, is I can't trust my thinking in any facet of life. It's a simple fact. Janine, anything? Yeah, I was just thinking like when I, it's kind of reminding me of if I asked, you know, my mom about something or somebody who's not in the program that's close to me, who I would have sought advice from before, they're all, you know, messed up with what society thinks. And that's usually fear driven around, got to get the job, you got to get the money. You can't, you know, take a move because you're going to maybe throw your economic security. And if you do this, you're going to maybe throw your marriage, which is then going to impact you. All these fear-based advice that I was getting or just stuff that isn't logical at all that would bring myself in. And, you know, one of the advice I got in early recovery was do a pros and cons sheet. And I'm like, that is unhelpful because I'm in there with my own thoughts and I'm trying to lay it on paper. And what am I doing? I'm assuming the worst and I'm full of fear. And then I end up with this pros and cons sheet that's just all me and fear. And so I need the 12 step people around me so that they can guide me of the principles in this program and not the ways of the world. Otherwise, I'm, it's not just my thinking, it's everybody else's around me because they're so um, in their own versions of self running their own shows based on their own beliefs that usually come from a combination of society influences and other things. 
So it's really important when you're trying to live a God-centered life and to be taking steps in the direction that thy will be done, that you're talking to other people who understand the concept of thy will be done and what that looks like um, making moves so that we don't let fear or, or selfishness or loneliness or, you know, what other people want for us guide the way because then we're lost again. Okay. Our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call him nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The preacher who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him. And the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever their protestations are not, these people mostly concerned with themselves, their resentments, or their self-pity. And that's already underlined. Um, that's underlined in all your uh, handouts. Is that correct? And so when we're talking about true, true freedom of the human spirit, you know, when we talk about humility, we talk about uh, serenity, you know, we talk about uh, a strong God-centered sense of self, which is to say that I can walk into any situation and I don't have to be cocky, nor do I have to be afraid. I'm able to understand who I am and have a resolve, a limitless power of resolve that's not based in self, right? It's not based in pride, um, which is a flash in the pan, Right. As quickly as I'm better than you is as quickly as I'm less than you. And that could happen within a second, right? That could, it's, it's split seconds. I could be up and down all day. I mean, originally coming in here, it's, it's very common that an individual has burnt it all down to the ground. And there's a ton of anxiety, some remorse, bitterness on a lot of the things that are blown up. So it makes a lot of sense as per society is concerned that an individual, when they get in here, they're going to be making up for lost time, right? Well, I mean, fundamentally, why are they doing that, right? When you look at a fear of failure, it's not necessarily that I know that I have failed. It's that you've seen me fail, right? It's more of a fear reputation. It's often people come in here, they try and build the world of the material right away, um, typically because they have no character. So I am what I drive. I am what I do. That is who I am. You take all that away. I feel as though I'm nothing. Of course, you know, my hands are tied. I have to work on culture and character before my material needs are met. But the simple fact is, especially when you get to the or whatever program, uh, people generally don't give a fuck. And why that is, is because they're more concerned about themselves, especially in these programs, for sure. These people don't give a fuck what you drive, nor what you do. Maybe if it's better than what they drive or what they do, they might care. But for the most part, in these rooms and in society, people are more concerned about themselves, what they drive, what they do. And when you have a fundamental understanding of that, that's where you could actually, that's where you could actually start to grow on your own. Whether that working out, whether that be going to school at, you know, uh, in your forties or fifties, whatever, you could do whatever you, whatever you want, um, without the fear of being judged without fear of reputation, but it is a fundamental understanding 
to the gut level that nobody's paying attention to you. And why you believe they're paying attention to you is because you are fucking selfish and self-centered, which is the, that is to the core of the alcoholic act, is the selfish, self-centered nature that we have to be rid of. And the more we bring God into self, the less what I've just described as a parent, self-centered nature, the more you could actually grow into who you are and who you're meant to be. Shane. The best way I can bring God into self. Quickest, quickest, most efficient. Quickest, most efficient, I would say 10, 10 and 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even if I just said 10, you're cheating yourself. If I just said 10 and 11, you're fucking yourself. It has to be 10, 11, 12, right? This is where sponsorship comes in. This is where a family unit could be beneficial. There's a lot of spirit that could be found in a family unit. Obviously, you don't have the ability to be calling sponsees and work with sponsees all day long. It's not possible. So you have to pack into society. You have more time in society than you ever will in any of these programs. You know, even if you, you, you go to a meeting, there's an hour, work with, a, work with a guy afterwards that's, you know, two and a half hours, maybe four hours tops a day. What are you doing from fucking six in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon, six o'clock in the afternoon, right? Packing into society, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, like what Jesse was saying about the, I am this, I am that based on how you feel about me and the addiction to the validation. And a lot of that, like when we come into recovery, it's where not only are we maybe trying to overcompensate or not let ourselves be seen in a negative light some more, but I don't think anybody really knows who they are coming into the, into the program or into recovery um or if they ever stopped and think about it even even normal people because we are so used to the external validation and then we blow in the wind like jesse was talking about where it's like we didn't get we didn't get the feedback we wanted so we go from up here to down here just like that and as we work this program um especially through like finding out what our defects are and and continuing to work those through 10 11 and then sponsorship i i think that that's and what Jesse was saying too about the family and the people closest to us. So like in the family unit and in our close like romantic relationships and in sponsorship, these are the push points where you can, you can wear, you know, yourself pretty good, just do to do to do. But when you get close to people in an intimate way, it's like, like not, not sexually intimate, but when you're starting to get these, these relationships that are on a deeper level that, that go to the spirit level um, and you get pushed, you get pushed differently and your, your defects are really, they're to the core and things come up in the close relationships that don't come up in your work environment. And they don't come up when you're at the grocery store, or even in Calgary rush hour, even though that's a big complaining point that people get mad. It's nothing like that. It's like when you're in your intimate relationships, you see yourself come up in ways that you don't see if you, if you, aren't in a relationship and if you aren't sponsoring and and you see a reflection of yourself through sponsorship because they're alcoholics as well um or addicts or they you know you have that that common problem and the common solution in a way that you see into each other in a, in a way that reflects you and so there's so much more to be found in levels that you can't get to if you are um not taking those opportunities on within the family and sponsorship Okay.
selfish self-centeredness that we think is the root of all of our troubles driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we had made decisions based on self, which later placed us into a position to be hurt. I want you to underline, but we invariably found that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us into a position to be hurt. So when we talk about self, when we talk about making these decisions, right, making these decisions on my own, right, that I know kind of what's best. This goes back, you know, Bill had talked about the second delusion. Um, you know, we chat about the God of reason and we agnostic, which is essentially all my best reason, right? You know, people say uh, my best reasoning got me, right? Has to kind of do with the you know, the ideal dream that society sets off, uh, but that's what true happiness is going to be. Now, there's a lot of, I know, majority, pe majority of people in society live, you know, materialistic. Uh, they have the ability to, you know, maybe they have a family, maybe they have some passions. They're not solely based in the world of the material. They do have things that are outside, like, like a family, maybe they go to church, whatever, and they're able to get by. For the alcoholic, these things are just 100% points. And why that is, is because human aid will always fail you. So an individual comes in here, like I said, and, and trying to get the, the world's material back. And it's almost like he's putting a whole bunch of dominoes between him and the alcoholic insanity, thinking that in order to drink, I have to punch through every fucking domino. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. He sidesteps the whole fucking thing and goes right to the drink. So understanding that those thoughts will permeate all other affairs, it only makes sense that when I make decisions based on self, it will later place me in a position to be hurt. Typically, that looks one of three ways. You will get fucked right now, right away. You pay the piper automatically. It's delayed, right? See, um, um, CRS, CRA, CRA. You know, I don't pay my taxes now. They don't catch on to me for three years. There is, you know, a certain uh, percentage that's accrued. That's now triple what I was going to pay, right? That's an example of, uh, I'm not, you know, I, I make the decision now, I pay the piper three years down the road, or you pay for fucking three, four years, five years. Credit card's a good example of that, right? So how you hedge against that goes back to a conversation I had said before. You are bringing God-centered members into your decision-making. And I think when people are coming into um, recovery and the drive is to get the material stuff back, there's a miss there because it's like that. I think that that person is still thinking about alcohol was the problem and not understanding that they were the problem. And if they don't continue to address themselves, it doesn't matter how much material stuff is out there because they're still going to, they're still going to fail because our, our, failures arise out of us and they cause they cause our problems and so understanding that that's happening um it, it chases in the different direction for me when i when i read that i don't know why it jumped out at me out to me that day and i was like that it arises out of me and causes my failure and i just was like i saw it that day and i, I was in treatment and i was like holy shit like the problem is me 
and it's not the alcohol. And I, I actually became convinced in that moment. I remember it so clearly that it, that the problem was me and that it wasn't going to be all of these external fixes that was going to, going to make me feel better. And in fact, if I didn't fix myself and actually figure out what step six and seven was, cause that was really not clear to me at the time. Um, if I didn't figure that out with the desperation of a drowning person, that it wouldn't matter about the material stuff. It wouldn't matter about any of that stuff. Cause even if I got it, I'd lose it anyways, or I would get it and I would be miserable. So I, I just became convinced reading that one line um, that I was like, wow, like this shit arises from me and it's caused my failure. It has never been the, the substance. And so it became very important for me to figure the rest of it out, which started my kind of journey. But I just wanted to share a story about this, um, the position to be hurt thing, because I like to share stories to people sometimes because it brings it to life and it makes more sense to me um, when I hear an example. So um, I just, I love my mom. I just use her as an example because she's just classic. She is classic. Al-Anon should be there. But anyway, so we were walking in the dogs and it was, I was maybe like six months into recovery and I was like feeling pretty passionate about it and um I was she had talked to Bill one time Bill had called and she answered the phone and she had a conversation and she like was listening to him and she like cringing at the swears but she was like he had some really interesting stuff to say for you alcoholics she said I'm like mom that stuff would apply to everybody like and he had been talking about fear and decisions and whatever so anyways, she was kind of interested, but never listening for her. And she started telling me the story at the beginning of this of May. And she was talking about the hairdresser and she went and she had already bought hair, hair shampoo. And she went to the hairdresser and she bought more hair shampoo because this hairdresser was saying like, oh, this, this hair shampoo is the best shampoo. And so she's in it in the chair going, how am I gonna say no? Oh my God, she really obviously wants me to buy this shampoo, but I just bought a gallon yesterday. And so I don't know, maybe I'll buy it and return it. So she's telling me this and I'm like, that is hor that is a horrible move, mom. Like you just got to say what's on your mind and just like, that's a really easy example. Like just say what's on your mind. She's like, well, anyways, I'm going to bring back this shampoo. So she's telling me this. So she went to the store and like Jesse was just talking about is like, you know, you get fucked right away with some of this stuff and here she goes to the store and she couldn't return it because they didn't have the return button programmed into the thing into the debit machine so she comes back complaining and we walk our dogs every day right and my mom talks a lot and so she's telling me about this thing and how could they not have this refund button and I tried to return this and then it wasn't there and it was a waste of time I waited for 20 minutes for them to figure it out so she goes back again to return it and she couldn't because the manager wasn't there so then I heard about that and then she went back and she went back about four or five times and they ended up having to call the bank to come and program this button into the machine and there was a manager involved and it was so it was the end of the month when and I'm so sick of hearing about this shampoo and I'm like well you put yourself in this position when you acted in fear or you didn't act and you should have said something and now look you got the ball rolling and now it's a big snowball over a fucking bottle of shampoo like you did this to you when you didn't speak up. Oh, well, I know. And so she, and she goes to the, finally get this refund. And she's describing the scene to me. She's, so we're walking and she's talking and she's like, and she goes, and then, so her hairdresser, I can't remember what her name is, but, and she was there and she was crying. And she said, I, I'm sorry, Janet, I'm just, 
I feel so bad that you've had to come five times and you've just, this has been horrible and I hope you still come and get your hair cut. And I am disgusted listening to this. I'm like thinking of this total chaos that, that she has caused just by one small decision that she chose to act in fear, not say what was true for her. And she bought it thinking she could refund it later. You know, she's pushing back on this, what she should do. And it just built up and caused this huge commotion. Girls are crying and it's this big thing. And she says to the girl, she goes, well, it's just bad customer service. And so I lost it. And I was like, what do you mean it's bad customer service? I'm like, this was you when you did this and you caused this. And so anyways, I, I really have that in my mind of when this whenever I read that I'm like one small move and if you think about the whole world doing that like people who just don't, aren't okay with saying what's on their mind and they people please and they you know they have the fake smiles for a couple times and then they're you know not satisfied behind the back all these problems they come to a head if you don't deal with the conflict in front of you it's still there it's going to come up in some way and it's going to be you know it dealt with in some way shape or form when it does surface and so it makes me think of like all the little actors running around like that causing all the commotion by not saying what they really think so it's like in my head I have like all these people in their hairdressing chairs on one day say and they're all buying shampoo they don't want and they're all trying to return it well just that across the planet causes chaos and that's just a bottle of shampoo so okay so just quickly on this when we're talking about decisions based in self, majority of these decisions are based in the delusion, like, like was already chatted about. And so that is going to be centered in the material wor world. So that is, you have no money, you buy a black on black BMW. Okay. That is, you just come in here, you should be focused on this. You're talking to me about fucking oil and gas. Okay. You are... You know, one month going to meetings, you just found your fucking wife at a CMA meeting. That's what, that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about decisions that oppose the grace of God. And for anybody who is listening to the individual telling you, because the situation, really the dynamic is, he is the salesman, I'm supposed to be the buyer, okay? Now he's thought about whatever the fuck he's going to try and sell me for a week plus. And then he lays the perfect pitch. And it's easy to get caught up in it. There might be a violin attached to it. Jess, I've been working so hard. Just this, just that. And you could get caught up in it. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You give your head a shake. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Not only what the fuck are you talking about, but what are we talking about? And it's easy if you are centered... Even in your, whether it's in your own life or whether you're sponsoring individuals, it makes a little difference. It will come up in your sponsor sponsor relationships will definitely come up in your life, you know? And it's easier to spot in other, in your sponsees <laughs> than it is in, in your own life. You know, you got a guy who's sober eight months, you know, really working at it. Um, you know, maybe he's in the trades, he wants to buy a $30,000 used fucking black on black Mercedes Benz. That's what it looks like. It looks like a complete fucking outlier, right? Decisions based on self. It doesn't look like that. Alcoholism doesn't look like alcoholism, especially when it's coursing through your veins and you're fully fucking active. 
Because what, what happens is, is that when you are beaten down by your own selfish decisions, you come in here, you need help, the pride reasserts itself. When the pride reasserts itself, the individual is already drunk. Without the drink, it's only a matter of time. And then they'll just fill their life with fucking decisions based on self. Then they'll be drunk. You can't really tell them anything, right? So the hope is that by the time they're 12 stepped and try to make a go of it, that's really where, you know, the step six comes in. And I know Bill, he loves talking about fucking step six on, on every single step. He will try to fucking work a couple angles on six. And uh, it's good because it's important. But the simple fact is, is not only like on this step, it's an education. You're essentially free giving the individual information. It's theories. You come in here, we hit step one, you have facts, you have experiences galore on that. When it comes to this, it's all theories, all of them, for the most part, for the new individual. You lay down the groundworks, you give them the theories, they fucking walk into it, right? Hopefully they call. I mean, there's a good chance that they're just going to be operating in soft until shit really hits the fan, right? They're, they're, they're fucking totally gone. And there may be the chance you can't talk to them. The hope is they, they arrive at that bottom of soft. If they arrive at that bottom of soft and get that, get that glimmer of humility that they got by the time they came in here, then they got a shot. Any questions on that? So for, uh, it said we, uh, decided to turn my will and my life over. Is it, is it, is it, um, all right for me to think that my will and my life, my thought and my actions never have that negative thought, that negative, I, I, I act out in a negative, dishonest, selfish, ignorant way. My shit gets fucked up with somebody. That's what I should be turning over to my sponsor pillars. I really wouldn't worry about that too much. What I would worry about, so if, if the problem, if the alcoholic problem centers in the mind, so you have a mind component, you have a body component, that means that the solution has to be of the mind and of the body. So if you look at the God of the minds of perspective, and the first perspective we get in this information up to this point is God is everything or he's fuck nothing, black and white. And the alcoholic addict's very black and white. For me, I could bite into that. That was tangible. It's either he's absolutely everything, what I perceive to be good, what I perceive to be bad, or he's fucking nothing. That means I can't have him over here in career, finance, and my addiction, but then in my love life and everything else, Jesse gets the fuck around. It's all God or it's absolutely nothing. That's the perspective, right? But then when you look at the body, you know, you have that intuition, that God, it's not... It's the right or wrong. Somebody says something, you're in a situation and you get a clench, right? That is the God of the body. That conversation is useless really right now because you don't bore open the channel till five, right? So what you would pay attention to without getting too far along is when we sincerely take such a position. That's the actual action of this step. Every, like right now where we're at is this is how you fucking don't do it. And you don't bring self into it. Forget about it, right? First of all, we quit playing God ourselves, yourself. It doesn't work next, right? Like that's the type, that's more action towards it. Janine? Yeah, I like what you're saying there. I like the idea of using this step as 
almost like a this is coming up and having these conversations that your ego is rebuilding really fast and this is what it's going to look like and this is what it's going to play out like and god is everything or he's nothing so you got to have it all in here when you go into this next step because self is coming back real full speed you know like i remember when i was drinking it was like i was quitting drinking and then three days would go by and i'd forget that's how fast my ego was rebuilding you know like i had to be really broken for to get that that pause that i could even get into this a little bit um and so really like what what i love this step because it, it like what you were saying is it, it, it's warning you it's like this is what's happening and you're you know the problem isn't the substance it's you and it's manifesting in all different ways and you got to get a handle on it and if you don't like you're screwed you have to get a handle on what's going on you have to be convinced that any life run by you is going to be a disaster and so that's like what you're trying to get your sponsee to get to before they're re egos rebuilding and that's why this step has to be finished by them starting step four um because any time spent not doing that like this should be the like you said the salesman you're trying to sell it to them that this is what they need you got to launch and i really liked how you said that that's all okay so our troubles we think are basically of our own making they arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic is almost the most extreme example that could be found a self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there is no way of entirely getting rid of self without him. You may have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but you can't live up to them even though you would have liked to. Neither can you reduce your selfish self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on your own willpower. You must have God's help. And the alcoholic is almost the most extreme example that could be found a self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. And so that is to say that I have the ability to operate in self, believing that it's God's will. And I have the ability to do that constantly especially through step 11 if i'm not getting consistently grounded and i am getting these intuitive thoughts and i'm not bringing god-centered pillars into that and i'm just going into these situations half situations half cocked without any conversation without any grounding i mean i am a hundred percent operating my life a hundred percent calling all the shots and it's only a matter of time before I fucking pay the piper. But I really like that, though he usually doesn't think so. That is to say that eventually there will come the time where God's will and my own will gets fucking skewed. Very easy for that to happen. I come into this program, I'm fucking homeless, I'm penniless, I'm fucked all over the place. All of a sudden I need these things, maybe I need a car, I get that. You know, maybe a relationship with the wife comes back. Maybe I get a half decent job. In the first year, it looks as if God's will is my own will. You know, a lot of people will say that the first year is a gift. And, you know, although the first year is difficult, there's a lot of things that make it, you know, easier at the very least. So that, that is to say that you are newer. People are going to flock around you. People actually give a shit. They'll clap when you walk into a room. They'll pat you on the back. Oh, you got a job. Oh, you made it on time, blah, blah, blah. Second year, that's all done. Fucking forget about that. 
You got the book, you got the solutions. Nobody gives a fuck now. You're the furniture in the back. Oh, Jerry, yeah, he's always here pouring coffee. You know, nobody's clapping, nobody's nothing. Not only that is in my second year, I learned very quickly that God's will and my own are two completely fucking different things, you know? I, I haven't come here and agreed with much about God's will for my own life. That's just the way I am. I, was, I wasn't ever meant, I don't believe, for this. And I believe most alcoholics deal with that. I was under the impression that if an individual came in here and got this, they were primed for it. You know, maybe there was some sort of Christianity or God in the family or, or whatever. And then, you know, they came in here and, and I, I did not believe that anybody had the ability to have as much contention to some sort of a higher power or God, as I call him. Uh, than myself and talk about selfish, self-centered and, and egotistical. There's not one man that I've ever worked with that ha has really accepted this, you know, with open arms and a smile and, and all that other shit. And if he does, he's fucking lying. He's lying to himself and he's lying to you. Because really what's happening is, is you're saying what's going to happen and he's just nodding. That's the guy who blows his brains out. That's the guy who's drinking right after the session. He nods, yes, Jesse. Oh, I love it. Oh, God, I got to give it all up. Can't fucking wait. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And then I don't hear from him for six months because he's off on a tear. If a guy combats me and we agnostic and, and in this information, that's what I'm looking for. At least he's honest with me, right? We'll find something tangible. Janine? Oh, um... I was thinking about something. Let me just pull it back to my mind. Yeah, it was worth saying. I think, I think it was worth saying. Um, oh, yes. I was thinking about how self-will, how I noticed it coming up for myself, but it's hard to see it. Like, it's really, I went into a stupid thing. I won't get into it, but I went into a stupid move, I don't know, like a month ago. And then when I was talking to some pillars about it, they were like, why didn't you phone anybody? And I was like, I don't like, I didn't even see it was an issue till it was an issue after and it wasn't going down the way that I thought, right? Um, but I can see it in other people and it sounds like it sounds like a lot of the justifications and the rationalizing and them trying to convince me that it's it's okay, you know. Well, it, I'm thinking of a couple of recent examples of just meetings, like certain this particular persons like debating the meetings where one meeting is there's you know the x and there's the situation and you know but go to whatever meeting and then there's the the backlash from that and they're telling me this and they're telling me that and so i found that if i just stop them and say what are you packing into the stream of life and then and we have a conversation around that and it can kind of unpack not maybe not about that issue but because that's what it is. It's like self-will is what can I get for me, me, me? How do I want this to go? This is what I want to do. And this is why. And this is the best. This is the best thing for me. And this is why. This is the best thing for everybody else. And this is why. So it's like, what are you like? Where is the thy will be done? Like, where is the thy will be done? And that can open up conversation in a different way. So I found that asking somebody that is really helpful. If you notice that they're rationalizing and justifying pretty good at you. That's all. This is the how and why of it. First of all, quit playing God yourself. It doesn't work next. Decide that hereafter in this drama life, God is going to be your director. He is the principal, you're to be his agent. He is the father, you to be his child. 
Get that simple relationship straight. Double underline that. If you want to know what step three is, it's getting that simple relationship straight. That'll be the dynamic of God being the father, you being the child, God being the employee, you being the employer. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept, concept is to be the keystone of the new and triumphant arc through which you will pass to freedom. When you sincerely take such a position, what position are they talking about? God is everything, God is nothing. God is everything, God's nothing. A little bit more out of the text, though, out of what we just read. God is going to be our director. Yep. yep. God is the director. We are the agent. He is the father. We are the child. You know, he is the employer. We are the employee. When we take, when we sincerely take such a position, all sorts of remarkable things follow. You have a new employer being all powerful. He must necessarily provide what you need if you keep close to him, perform his work well. Established on such a footing, you become less and less interested in yourself your little plans and designs, more and more you become interested in seeing what you can contribute to life. As you feel new power flow in, as you enjoy peace of mind, as you discover you can face life successfully, as you become conscious of his presence, you begin to lose your fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. You will be reborn. So if we just kind of go back right nice and quick. The first requirement is that you see that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. This is the how and why of it. First of all, quit playing God yourself. It doesn't work. Next, decide that hereafter in this drama life, God is going to be your director. When you sincerely take such a position, what position? God is going to be your director. All sorts of remarkable things will follow. This is the step three promises. And the step three promises come when I quit fucking playing God myself when I let God take over and really how I operate that, how I operate this sincere position is I do absolutely everything in my fucking power that is possible work-wise. And then I fucking let it go. And then I know without a shadow of a doubt that whatever the outcome is, is God. If I leave a sliver there, you know, for example, if I'm working on some deal and I shot numbers off to manufacturers and I went off of old numbers and I shot off the deal before the manufacturers got back to me, they gave me better pricing. It's always going to be up in the air. You know, if I don't get that deal, is that more self or is that God, right? And it could be a large situation, but quite commonly, it's just that little what if. Is that actually fucking God, that outcome? Or is that a decision based on self? And if I do absolutely everything in my power for every aspect of my life, career, finance, relationship, health, reputation, I do absolutely everything in my power, that outcome must surely be God. That's how I take, sincerely take such a position. Janine? Uh, yeah, I'm, I think that um, a key part of it is actually doing everything that you possibly can. Because God can't uh, get in there if there's no action taken. Um, there's been a couple of things that happened in, in my journey here that I look back and I'm like, oh, maybe I should have taken action and the outcome would have been different. Um, anyways, yeah, so I think that taking, actually having the courage to take the, take the action steps and then also um, 
when things are not flowing to stop forcing and take my hands off of it because you know that that isn't the direction I'm supposed to be going so there's some areas of my life that is easy for me to do that like work right I can apply to a lot of jobs and then just see what happens interview the best I can if I do a shitty interview um I can feel like I could have interviewed better but if I do an interview to the best of my ability and I don't get the job which just happened because of like a seniority situation I didn't get all down about it and I wasn't like oh this is so unfair this is, it's just like that is how it goes and I, I don't fight it fight it but I do show up for things and um, in the areas where I need to work at it more is like where I'm indecisive and I'm not quite um, at a place like with the meditation and the intuitive thoughts and like I still find that I get confused and I don't take action even like when I'm trying so for me in my recovery because I'm only a year and a half sober not well not even yet when I'm reading this it's like all these things will happen you're going to have a new employer and all the promises and all these remarkable things I think that there's a patience aspect to that too because as as I come to believe I'm coming to believe because I am doing the legwork and seeing how things play out and then things play out and they're okay and I see like okay like I'm I can I have enough traction now to look back and see how the dots are connecting and that it's okay when I'm stepping into uncertainty that when I'm doing these things, I have been okay. And I see that looking back that, oh, this worked like that. And, oh, I met this person and then this happened or like just even how I got to the Calgary was kind of a miracle looking backwards. Um, so I think that for the people that I work with that are newer than I, I say like, this doesn't happen overnight. Like, yes, these promises look awesome and remarkable things will follow, but they don't follow tomorrow and they don't follow without action. So you have to take the action and you have to have patience. Um, because like your life isn't needing to be rebuilt next week like we took a long time to destroy it and the most important thing is like to show up and to keep trusting that God's everything even when it feels like you don't know where you're going and just keep keep at it and then these promises come come true they're more true for me today than they were six months ago than they were a year ago right so that's all so we're about to read the third step prayer with which yep
that situation, doing it, and then having the numbers come back. And then just, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, what if I wait, right? What if I actually did everything? You know, um, job, like um, a job interview is very, that's a very good example too. You know, doing all my due diligence. If this is going to be uh, a job interview on Zoom, well, how the fuck do you do that? What does that look like? What do you wear? You know, um, what's supposed to be in, in, in the backdrop? All that kind of stuff. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about exhausting absolutely everything at my fingertips and then giving that up. Right? So I, let's say I do do that interview, which I did. I had to do a, an interview over Zoom a year and a half ago, and I didn't know what goddamn thing about how that's supposed to go. So I researched the shit out of it. Right? I found a normal backdrop in the house. I got half-decent lighting. I used a, an earpiece, right, that you could hear directly what I'm talking about, right? And I got that job, but that's not the point. The point is that on my end, I will exhaust absolutely every avenue, and then I will give that outcome up to God. Does that make more sense? Does that answer your question? <laughs> so, so what about what I said wasn't ethical? No, it wasn't. Well, I mean, that's always, that's always going to be the question. You can't make too much money because you have competition, right? And so if I try and gouge you, you go down the street and you get the deal for X amount cheaper. It's a free market system, and thank fuck we have it. Okay, um, so back to, so this is the step three prayer, right? Without exception, this is done on the knees. Typically, I work with guys in my car just because it's mobile. It's the, the easiest way. Maybe I'll pick them up. Maybe they drive to me. Whatever the case may be, I've been sponsored out of my car for fucking six plus years, and that ain't going to change. Anyways, and so when we do that, it's always the bumper of the car. Always. And so, like I mentioned previous, that this pride could reassert itself. You know, individual comes into the program, you know, he says, Jesse, please sponsor me, this, this, that. He's crying, I'm in pain, blah, 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 this, this, that. And he doesn't call me tomorrow. What is that? That's the pride reassert. It's a pride reasserting itself. That's the God of reason telling him that it actually wasn't that way. This time will be different. I just need this, this, and this. If I could manufacture that in the way that I want, all will be well. So it is common for the selfish, self-centered nature to bleed into the 12 steps. And by the time they're 12 step, the biggest red flag is that they don't have to sponsor anybody. Right? Where that's the first session we chat about that. That's a consistent fucking theme throughout the whole thing. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have to sponsor something, right? And maybe my answer is not in the program. Maybe I should see a psychiatrist, blah, 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 all self-oriented, all self-oriented. And why, why they've arrived at that point is selfish, self-centered, has bled into the 12 steps. So when an individual gets down on his knees, like, oh, we'll be at Tim Hortons, I'll park right in front of the Tim Hortons, make sure that people can see, and we're going to make this decision together. And I'm not trying 
necessarily to humble the guy, although that is a byproduct. I want to see if he will make this decision in front of other people. You know, it's the same when an individual drinks. Let's say I've sponsored a guy for a couple of months. He drinks. He's off on a run. He calls me in a month or so and says, you know, Jess, uh, I'm ready to do it, this, this, that. And I say, okay, go to detox. It's not necessarily that I think detox is magical or anything like that. It's a firm decision. And if this guy is, is remorseful and makes a firm resolution not to drink again, then I know the odds are the allergy of the body is done. So it's a little bit more that it's not really the process of humiliation. It's more the process that he's willing to do this. It's the willingness. Cause you got to remember up to this point, what has this guy really done? Maybe I've picked him up, might've bought him a couple fucking coffees, no work, no work at this time, right? Four hasn't come along. Five hasn't come along. It's pretty, pretty breezy up to this point. So it's a little bit more of the willingness than anything else. Anybody have questions on that? pretty breezy guys <laughs> okay we're gonna try your willingness now get down upon your knee knees and say to your maker as you understand him i want everybody to start at god god i want you to get on your knees god i offer myself to thee to build with me to do with me as thou wilt Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help by thy power, thy love, my way of life. May I do thy will always. Think well before taking the stealth. Be sure you are ready that you could at last abandon yourself utterly to him. It is desirable that you make your decision with an understanding person. It may be your wife your best friend, your spiritual advisor. But remember, it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. You must decide this for yourself. The wording of your decision is, of course, quite optional, so long as you express the idea, voicing it without res reservation. This decision is only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, will be felt at once. And so when it says voicing it without reservation, that's all, I'll do two parts. So it'll be on the bumper of the car. He will read, I'll be on my knees as well. And then I'll have him voice it without reservation, which is he says it completely in his own words. Anything to say on that? Uh, no, I think, well, I guess I will say, um, I take this approach too with sponsees and it was uncomfortable for me but it was told that I had to. And so it's just like, oh, do you want to get on your knees or oh, like, I don't know. And so now it's become just comfortable. So even if you're uncomfortable, that's your own shit. And you don't want to deprive the newcomer of like proper sponsorship or getting this experience done thoroughly. So get over your own shit and just get on your knees with them and, and do the prayer. Uh, Cause that's what the step's all about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's asking, have you ever done step three on Zoom where you got on your knees with the person on camera? Yeah, there's certain steps on Zoom that won't have the impact, and that's one of them, right? Like, you can do it. Sometimes you have to, you know? It's, it, it's common that a guy will come down here for treatment and then go back to BC or go back to Saskatchewan. That does happen. Or Northern Alberta, 
then you got to do it on the phone, right? You just got to trust that he's doing it. But the, the impact will be lost. You will lose some impact. But it's still possible to, to get the message across. But it, it's not the same. It's like half. It's the same with a five. Right? For sure. When you're in a five, you know, if you are to start probing on certain questions and you can see that he's uncomfortable, you know, body language, you can see if, you know, maybe this is where you need to go or maybe you don't, conversation, asking questions, or you're losing. You're losing a lot of impact. But it is what it is, right? Okay, so this is 63. Are you switching to the book? Yeah, so right now in the, we're in the big book. This will be 63, bottom of the, uh, bottom of the page. <laughs> Next, we launch out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us, had never attempted. Your decision was a vital and crucial step. It could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in our salve, salves which has been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, symptom so we now get down to the causes and conditions. So the simple fact is, is like, if the step three is not followed immediately by the four, then you lose momentum and you lose impact completely. <clears throat> Typically how this works for me, depending on the severity of the individual that I'm working with, it'll be three sessions to four. So, the, so out of the three sessions, the third session would be all of we agnostic all the way up to resentment step four. So we would essentially have a God conversation. Then we would do three. And then he leaves me on resentments four. Right? And that's how you capitalize on all these conversations one session. The only problem with it is that you got to remember retention rate. Like if you're dealing with a guy who just came off the street, you know, like his eyes are rolling in the back of his head. Like he can't even keep his head up. I mean, that session alone could be three and a half hours, right? So you got to be mindful of retention rate. But if you could bang it all off in one session, really all the heavy, hard-hitting solution-based conversations in one meeting, that means that you've had two meetings that are fucking dismal, right? If you are on, there's a um, doctor's opinion halfway through, there's a solution. Doctor's opinion is all problem, which is the allergy of the body. Then you were talking halfway through that chapter, there's a solution is solution-based. So you end on a little bit of solution, but then your second session is all fucking problem. And it's all the mental blank spot, right? The plausible excuse, the insane trivial excuse, right? So you leave them on that, then you follow up with, I mean, nothing short of a, a whole God-centered session. Retention rate, though. Mm, I'm just thinking about what, what I I think if, if if the session you don't have the time I think that you you end you end on a point and then you start and you summarize again what you went over and make sure that it's stuck and that they know what's up before you go on and I think that in if you can't get it all done like that um to review it and review it and build on it and keep doing that and make sure you can, I think that 
you, you wouldn't want to leave without the God. It doesn't make sense to me to, to, because you're building up to why we're going to launch, right? So to break it up, it, it takes the momentum right out of it. So really to, to get the God thing in there and to sell them on the three so that they're launching on the four. And I agree leaving at the resentment stuff. So at the point of, after resentment, how long do you leave? So on resentments is two weeks. There is a grace period for a man with a, with a family that is a wife, that is a spouse, common-law, and kids. I could be flexible about a week. But there has to be a hard and fast timeline, non-negotiables. If I don't put that in place, this guy's not fucking getting it done. And so you got two weeks on resentments. If it's that second week and you haven't done anything, the odds are I'm going to tell you, you got now a week to do it or you're looking for another sponsor. Just as simple as that. And then they, after they get it done, let's say it's two weeks, which for the most part, they stay to that timeline. Two weeks on resentments, they have a week for fears and sex conduct. So I was setting you up to say, <laughs> what about the sponsor that's like, if I sit on it too long, I'm going to relapse and bringing up all of this stuff and it's too hard for me. Well, it depends the severity. I mean, I've had men get their step four done in a couple days. I've had them get it done in a week. Depends the severity. But if they're in a treatment center, generally you have a little bit of time. Okay. You know, if he's not going home to a basement apartment, that type of situation, absolutely no safety net, nobody, lonely. He thinks he's going to drink tonight. Those types of things that we're going to move pretty fucking Because I really have seen it spin people out. And so... What would you, what do you do in those situations? Like, how do you, do you have a conversation first or how does that look for you when you're sponsoring? Well, quite typically, like, you know, when they're in resentments, if they're stuck in the first first two columns, it's who has fucked you and how did they fuck you? You know what I mean? There's no spiritual value can be found in the first two columns. So let's say they got uh, 25 resentments and, and they're for, for those 25 resentments, they're doing it column by column by column. For the first maybe week of doing that, they're going to be stuck in the fucking mess mm -hmm. pretty badly. So generally what I'll tell my guys is if it's 25, you'll do 10, which is the first two columns. Um, and then you'll switch it up for the third column, right? So they're not totally stuck for all 25 first two columns, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We'll kind of switch it up. So... Let's say you work the first, yep. No, no, I, but I do go by age though. You're, well, if you're a 75 year old man and you have fucking five resentments, that's pretty alarming, isn't it? I'll also ask how long their five was. What's the longest five you've ever done? That's a question I always ask. You know, and if he's middle age, you know, maybe 35 to 45, and you're saying you've done an hour step five, that's fucking alarming. So I know that you haven't done a step five. That's what I know. You don't sum up 45. Let's say a solid three decades of drinking and causing some havoc in an hour. It's just not fucking possible. So generally I'll go off of that. You know, when it comes to a five, it's going to be, the five will actually consist of anywhere between 10 and 15 resentments. Like that's the bulk of the five. That'll be mother, father, sibling, maybe ex-wife, husband, whatever, business partner, you know, good friend, whatever, 10, 15. 
And that'll be, that 10, 15 could potentially be five to seven hours alone, right? Typical five is anywhere is between seven, seven and, and 14 hours, give or take. Well, we'll get to the columns. I don't want to get too far ahead. In fact, I don't even know if we'll make that. I have a funny feeling we won't. And then Bill will kind of go in there. Well, maybe before I leave, we might chat about that and just what that looks like briefly. Sure. I think it would be helpful if we did save some time just to get your perspective since you're not sure. going to be back next week. For shiny, for shiny. Okay. okay. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business, a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock in trade. One object is to disclose dis damaged or unsellable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, first we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. So the common manifestations that we're looking at is we are looking at resentment, we're looking at fear, and we're looking at sex conflict, right? A man or an individual doesn't typically lie in the resentments, nor does he lie in the fears, but he will most definitely lie in the sex conduct. Thank you. Yep. That's where all the guilt and shame is. Any questions on that? Now, Bill will probably say this, and I'll, I'll mention it here. When it comes to resentments, you know, I'm working with a guy. I give him resentments. He says, Jess, I don't have any resentments. If I had a fucking nickel <laughs> for every time a guy told me that, I would be in some fucking tropical place, white sand. I would have been retired a couple of years ago. Why is that though? How is that so common? That's without exception, just about every individual I have worked with has told me that. Why is that? What truthfully, that's a good, that's a uh, good answer. But typically what it is, is that in that moment, those resentments aren't activated. Majority of these resentments. So if you look at the effects, my, which is the third column, there's five effects, my, right? If this resentment holds all five effects, my, that's a fucking strong resentment. That resentment alone can have the individual drink no problem. That resentment alone can block him from something spiritual. That blocks the channel. He will not have the sunlight of the spirit. And insanity will, will recover. And he will drink it. No two ways around it. But majority of these resentments are like anywhere is between, you know, one to three star, four star. Right? So when I said, you know, 10 to 15 resentments, those are five star resentments. Now he might have 50 but the other ones are going to be ones and twos, one star, two star, you know, ambition, self-esteem, security, right? Personal relations, ambitions, right? And so these resentments aren't activated until this person texts, until he's at work, until he's in the room, he sees this person. And I think too, that by the time you're doing 
the resentments with somebody, they've gotten some reprieve, they've gotten some relief, they've gotten some sort of like hope, and that buffers them from remembering some of these resentments. Leave it a little bit, and you start getting sponsors being like, I forgot this, I forgot that, and then they're resentful at 10 more people, and they're having a really shitty day because of they've been having, you know, a shitty week, and they've been, you know, like it's, they're not as in they're not as fit spiritual condition or whatever. They're just in a different headspace because they've not been working up on their program and all, all kinds of resentments come out of the woodwork when that happens. And it's, I think it's because when they're doing this, when I was doing this, I had less than after when life got a little bit tough and I went through a second round of stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, and this and that, but I was in a different place. And I think that that's a, a difference too. So while we're looking at all these resentments is it's quite typical that, you know, for me, when it comes to the really larger stuff, it's easy to spot and it's easier to bring God into. But when it comes to, you know, I slept through the alarm, I got coffee on my white shirt, the car has no gas in it, I forgot to gas it up the night before, maybe I get a speeding ticket, which has been fucking common this year, you know, then I come into the office. Then I fucking listen to Jerry or, you know, a client I don't, I don't necessarily mm -hmm. like calls me. And then that, that's the opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's the time at which, like, if, if I am blocked at that moment, that could easily be a slip. Like, doing all this work and trying to keep the channel clear, we're doing all this for that one moment. There might have been, before I came in here, out of 10 situations, I might have been able to you know, have sanity for eight situations, but then there's those two. That's why we're doing all this work is for that one split second moment. That's what it's all for, right? And so it's a fucking massive liability if I have resentments, whether they're one or three star all over my life, which I did. And I did that to keep a constant, a constant IV drip of anger between the drink and the drug. Because without the drink and the drug, I still need something to get me out of me. And Anchor is a very good fucking tool to do that. If I keep a, a constant state of irritability, the problem is much like the drink is if I am constantly irritable, you look at me the wrong way, I fucking lose my mind, right? Much like the drink and the drug where I don't know what's going to happen when I pick up, anger is no fucking different, you know? I start yelling at the windshield. Somebody cuts me off, fucking game over, you know? Except for I start looking at all these areas, just resentments alone. I start cleaning all these things. And I don't have any Achilles heels anywhere. I can be properly present. And I can deal with each circumstance in my life as it comes. So my whole life was dealing with a world of shit than this, you know? My anger was unwarranted in almost every situation of my life because I wasn't fully present just dealing with that alone. It was life is, sh life is shed and then this, right? Janine? Yeah, it's like if, if you have never taken the time to actually sort through like it's talking about with the, the stock and trade and going through and looking at the facts and facing it all and sorting it out, then it's like it's just this big shit storm in the plumbing the channel and you're projecting constantly whatever's at you it's it's are you mad at this or are you mad at the 30 years of that 
And so as you sort it out, um, you, you start to become present and you're able to deal with things as they come. But I, but I think too, like what he was saying about eventually there comes a time when you really need to have had that um, channel clear because if you, if you let little things build up, it's like you don't have enough to withdraw when you need to. And so I, I guess I have the analogy of the, the bank account, right? Where it's like, we, I do this stuff do recovery stuff. And then when shit hits the fan for me, it's not as much turbulence because I have, I have some deposits in the bank, I suppose that I'm able to, to tap into. And that's enough to get me back on track where I'm like, okay, I need to like actually pray here. I got to call someone I got, it's not a knee jerk reaction into self because I've been, I've been keeping myself in decent spiritual condition. Um, so I think that the blank mental spot, I've said this before, is like, I, I've had it happen once where I thought about like drinking pretty hard. And um, that was a result of not doing what I needed to do for a series of days, and kind of just sitting in self and having this perverse, like, like, it was like, it didn't feel good, but it did, you know, like it was, I don't know, it was, there's a part in the book about it that feels cool. Well, no, it's like the do you know what I mean, Jesse? Chasing the melancholy down the... Yeah, that's step four in the 12. Yeah, it was like that. And doing this perverse melancholy. And I saw for the first time, I was like, holy shit, this is how people drink. Because I sat in this enough and I had, I had like barely enough to like actually do what I needed to do because it, it, it scared me. And I could see very clearly then how the mental blank spot can come and attack, but it, 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 doesn't come just like I'm sitting here today and it's boom it, 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 it comes as a result of a couple of things that you're not taking care of and you sit there a bit and then boom something happens and you're and you're fucked so Bill also gave me a pointer that um, I was working with a sponsee that actually couldn't identify a lot of resentments and like I don't have any and talked about like some people pleasing stuff and like maybe she should be angry and she is but she couldn't tell and we weren't getting anywhere and he's like get her to look up the definition of like anger anger and like print that out and so there was a whole bunch of synonyms like being annoyed and um irritated and some of those stuck out and then we were able to get some traction with that so just having a clearer definition that it's not just feeling like seething rage and it's not just angry. It's like there's some things that stay stuck and it's it's maybe a smaller slight, but it's still there. And on a bad day, it can be even bigger. So that was a helpful tip. There's no doubt that at least as far as I know, Bill's probably going to do the 12 and 12 step four, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, when it comes to the 12 and 12, the 12 and 12 will not sober you up. That's the simple fact. It's not the book to get you sober. That is the big book. And that is the first book. And you could get away without the 12 and 12 with just that book. But you cannot get away with just the 12 and 12. So it's a companion, right? There's one book that's the word. There's one book that's a companion. The 12 and 12 is very, very good mm -hmm. for step four. And just understanding a lot of this, like what, what Janine's talking about is the reactions of doing a step four. And they're talking about the depressive type who it's almost like they're giving themselves 40 lashes. They look at it, poor me. They, they pursue this per perverse melancholy activity. And in fact, they're not doing a step four, a moral inventory. 
They are leading themselves to the bottle just like they've done every other time. Then you have the grandiose who was offended at AA's suggested uh, inventory, moral inventory, that they believe that this one, this one good character would come back. Alcohol is the problem, minus that. I could go back to who I was before the drink and yada, yada. It talks about the repercussions that one could face. And also the sponsor dealing with a sponsee and what the sponsor can go through as well. More that dealing with a grandiose alcoholic type of stuff. It's fucking really good stuff, so... Okay, resentment is the number one offender, bottom of 64. <clears throat> it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. We have not only been mentally, physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. I want you to underline that. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Does anybody know what the spiritual malady is? That's just irritable. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Fucking ding, ding, ding. Just so happens your response. <laughs> You're only half fucking points. Uh, we straight out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom you are angry. Underline that. Put a one next to it. And that is... We listed them on, we put them on paper. We listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we are angry. That's your first column. We asked ourselves why we we're angry. Underline that. That's your second column. Now, this is an explanation as to why you might be angry. In most cases, it is found that our self-esteem, pocketbooks, ambitions, or personal relations, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burnt up. So they go on to say, on our grudge list, which that's all that is. That is the who and the what. So no spiritual value could be found in the first two columns. You shouldn't need help in the first two columns. Who fucked you and how did they fuck you? You've known that your whole life, right? Where an individual is going to need help, a sponsor would need help, is three and four. Right? So those are the tricky things. Those are the things I've never looked at. Yes, I, I know this individual and I know what's happened, but I do not know how it's affected me. Right? And so in the third column, which is on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, security, ambitions, personal, or sex relations, which has been interfered with? I want you to underline that. From was it self-esteem? all the way to sex relations. That's your third column. That's the effects mind. So typically it is, so the resentment is the who, which is just but a name. And then the cause or what, that's a conversation. So in the what, that's where I'm going to get everything I need to get. And typically if it's mother, father, or the first 10 to 15, that's going to be the bulk of that resentment. I mean, for him to say the one on his father could be two hours, that piece of mind, right? But I'm going to let him talk as much as he wants. I'm going to ask him a ton of fucking questions. I'm going to try and get all the pieces. Then we'll look at the effects mind, which should be in order. You know, if it's father's the resentment, and, you know, because he left when I was five, 
and left my mother to fend for herself with two other kids, three children in total. And I look at what did it affect? You know, it could be security. It could be financial security. If mom got a couple boyfriends in there and they were abusive, most likely security. So security would be financial. It would be physical and emotional. Most likely security. Self-esteem, why did my father leave? What, he doesn't love me. Why does he not love me, right? Ambitions, because I want to have a relationship with my father. Personal relations, because all my friends had fathers, right? Maybe sex relations, potentially. Not knowing how to properly treat women, right? Um, but that would be an example of, of how you would go down the list. I think to answer the question that came up a little bit ago, like you want to just tell them to point form because it becomes a talking point later. It's just like to get it down and to don't got to get into the whole story, just point form, just so it jogs their memory when the conversation comes up. And that's for the what. Yeah. 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 The what can be, I mean, the what has to be in point form because he's not writing fucking novels. There's no way. And if that's what he's going to do, he's pushing it off. Probably won't do it if, if that's what it's meant to be. So just point for him. You know, he left me, um, you know, left my mother, was abusive to, to my mother, that type of stuff. Point blank, all that. And then that could be elaborated in the five. I just want to say that there's a huge difference with doing this right out of the book, just pen and paper versus doing it off of a treatment center worksheet um it's just a totally different experience um and I think that's because when you're doing a treatment center worksheet it's like you're kind of clicking everything and it's like like in the example Jesse was just having it's like okay I'm resentful at my father you got a space to write that and then it's like checky boxes like it the affects my this this and you're like yep it does yep it does yep it does yep and then it's like you're not even actually reflecting on what it affects my and it and it it's like it's leading the questions so it was good enough for me to, to do that as a first initial, but I got a totally different experience when I did it just pen to paper with my sponsor later. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a treatment center. You know, treatment center is where a lot of men mm -hmm. first come into contact with our roots. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, a lot of the times they give, you know, they take an individual off the street they give them a bed, they give them meals, some sort of a recovery type of net, and that's all said and good. A lot of the times they're pushed towards the steps, they're pushed to get a sponsor, that's great. But there are motives, and don't fucking forget that. They can't sell you this. They can't. They have to sell you their own version of that, right? So when they do their own version, they're going to mix a whole bunch of shit in there. It's quite common. They will take pieces from the 12 and 12 and put it into the 12 steps. Or they'll start chatting about 500 and 600 resentment prayers found in 500 and all that other nonsense, right? Where when you go through a God-centered sponsor, he doesn't, he's not selling you on shit, right? There's two different motives. One wants to see you get sober and well, so you can pack into the stream of life. One, maybe you get sober, maybe you don't. You're paying me either way. You're done five, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? So it's like there there are obviously different moments. It's not to say they're not bad, but it is to say they're selling you something. 
and they can't actually sell you what you need to be sold. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Any questions on that? All right. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that the world and its people will, were often quite wrong. So if you notice, they give you an example, right? And the book assumes that you've done that example. All the information presented is under the assumption that you've done this work so far, right? So if you haven't done the work and you read it, it could sound confusing from that, but the book assumes you've done the work. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong, wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. I want you to double underline that. Sometimes it was remorse and we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. So when I talk about self-bleeding into the 12 steps, that's a piece. What that looks like is this individual is going to do their resentment list and they're first on the list. And this alcoholic would love nothing more than to talk about themselves for three plus hours, but all the terrible things they've done, maybe how they were wronged and this and that and that and this. And all that is, is the selfish, self-centered nature bleeding into the 12 steps. And you cut that the fuck out. The simple fact is, is, you know, has the individual done some shitty things? Sure. Do they feel remorseful for those shitty things? Absolutely. But this is not the fucking time, nor is it the place for them to, for them to, to, to have an open forum to chat about themselves, right? We're looking at their resentments. And we're looking at their harms to those individual, individuals that they resent. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Has anybody done that before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just like fucking sure. Right? We have to get rid of self. Right? We have to, or it fucking kills us. So giving giving the, the alcoholic the opportunity for self to bleed in, is that not an injustice to the individual you're taking through the 12 steps? Now, the simple fact is, is you may be sponsoring individuals and you may not know that. Is that your fault if you don't know it? No. No. I mean, you're ignorant, right? That's not you're purposely ignorant. You just don't know. If you know when you let it fly, what happens then? Whose fault is that? That's your fucking fault, right? But that is sponsorship. I mean, spotlight, it's gross. When I first started sponsoring, it was legitimately groping in the dark. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Really. It was just simply reading a book with some individual. You know, it was only until maybe 10, 10, 15 guys in that I started getting some idea. You know, I'm talking about things and they're hidden. You know, I'm because I'm reading the literature so much, things are starting to click. I'm starting to see patterns here. But that's not all things were illuminated to me and then I was just the man. That's predominantly me and Bill. We had sponsored enough men 
over the time and we had grounded each other. So I would be reading something and then I get an intuitive thought to take it one way. And then all of a sudden it has impact. And I call up Bill and I say, what are your thoughts on this? This is the results I got. He tries it. Same results. It's that. And it's that way for six, seven years we've been doing that for. Uh, what time do we got here? Okay, five minutes left. What I'm going to do is I am going to do an example on the back of this sheet of how I do uh, the resentments with an individual. You guys can come up afterwards and take a look at it. The first three columns are gonna be exactly in the book, which means that there's two lines, okay? First column is who, second column is what, third column is affects mine. Pretty simple. This is, I'm, I'm just gonna read this last little piece, 67, halfway through the page, referring to our lists again. Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely, resolutely looked for our own mistakes, where we've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. So selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. I just want to say, like, this is probably one of the most biggest impact for me that I'm so thankful for is like that I don't have people co-signing my stuff and making me feel worse ultimately and do worse so it's like the world and the people were wrong like a lot of times in my they had their part too um and that's if that's as far as we're getting is that other people are wrong we stay sore why do we stay sore because we go out and we do the same shit and then what happens people continue to wrong us why because we're doing the same shit because we're never looking at our parts. So it's like we keep doing the same shit. We keep getting sore and we're stuck in ourselves. Like we cause our own fucking shit. Our failures come from us doing the same shit over and over and over. So now we get to the key to the future, it says. We get the key to change. This is how we figure it all out is, is we look at it from an entirely different angle. Okay. So like I said, I'll leave this up. But there's the first three columns. There is selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened, then their harm. Dishonesty is always where it starts. Okay, so for example, let's say it is my father, you know, was abusive, left my mother on her own, right? And uh, I'm sponsoring a guy who tells me this, let's say, he's a little bit easier. And I start asking him about his father. And just so happened that his father abused his mother, fucked off when he was five and it just so happens that his grandfather was an abusive drunk right and you start seeing that it's not necessarily that he wanted to do that and it's not really what i think is that this man had all the chips and he withheld he had the chips of how to properly father he had the chips of you know how to be a good man but he was never given those chips in fact he just did to me what was done to him does that make sense that's a dishonesty piece as I never look at that. I never look at where these people come from. I never look at, you know, their situation, how they grew up, all that other shit. And when you go through those 10 to 15 resentments, like I had mentioned in a five, that's a lot of the discussion is more the dishonesty piece, is more the lineage. The question is why, why did his father do that? That's the question you ask yourself. And you're gonna try and get him talking to answer that. And then you will rope it all the way in to their heart. Just so happens that he has a fucking kid. Just so happens that he bailed on the kid. Right? 
That's your that that's their heart. It's so common that that's that that's the case. And I think with that, Janine, if there's anything else you want to say, I think that's it. We are at we are at time. We will close with the Serenity Prayer. And for everybody online, Tamara will take a picture of what Jesse just wrote out and put it in the WhatsApp group chat. If you're not on the WhatsApp group chat, join the WhatsApp group chat. Get the picture. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the willingness to know the difference. Amen, amen.